welcome to Becoming Your Best Version. I am here today with not only an amazing person, but an amazing friend, Deborah Soltis. She's founding partner of the law firm of Kionaga and Soltis PC in Washington, DC, where she specializes in employment discrimination, criminal defense, and civil rights litigation. Much of her practice focuses on empowering women in the workplace to combat sexual harassment and other forms of gender discrimination. Deborah has been repeatedly recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as one of the best attorneys in DC in employment law and has been repeatedly honored as a super lawyer by her peers for her criminal practice. Since 2009, Deborah has served as the executive director of Girls Up Inc., a DC not-for-profit which inspires adolescent girls to figure out who they are before the world tells them who they should be. She is a sought out commentator on issues related to civil rights, criminal justice, and the societal challenges faced by adolescent girls. And she has appeared on CBS's Evening News, NPR, ESPN, and numerous other media outlets. For more than 20 years, Deborah was on the adjunct faculty of Georgetown Law School, co-teaching a course of original design on critical film theory with her husband, Paul Kianaga. Deborah also serves as an advisor to the Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops. Deborah was formerly an associate at Williams and Connolly, where she worked on a variety of civil and criminal matters for clients, including Effie Berry, The Washington Post, and Paramount Pictures. She's admitted to practice in DC and Maryland, and she and her husband have four children, ranges from, ranging from ages 14 to 24. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Maria. It is so fun to be here with you and so good to see you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, Deborah and my life have intersected on several different planes. And our oldest children, our daughters, went to Stone Ridge School of the Sacred Heart and both excelled there and went on to really interesting university programs and careers and our friends as well. And um, I, this is my second time interviewing Deborah because I used to work for a publication in the DC area called Bethesda Magazine. And I wrote a piece on couples who work together. And Deborah and her husband, Paul, have just thrived as this power couple. Not only do they have their own law firm together, but they taught a law school course together. I don't know a lot of couples who can stand that much togetherness. What is your secret? <laughs> oh, it, it, the secret is that it is really fun mm. to see your spouse in their professional glory and challenges and and go through it all together. You know, there's nothing like going to trial with my husband at council table with me, passing notes back and forth to each other. Sometimes yeah. the notes are pretty, uh, you know, candid and to the point, but there's nothing like having this relationship that is rooted, of course, in lots of things, but there's this different sort of respect and appreciation that comes from working through our professional lives together as well as our personal ones. 
Well, from an outside observer's standpoint, I see how much mutual respect is exhibited in your interactions. And it's a really beautiful thing to observe that uh, he truly respects your intellectual capabilities, which are major, and you his. And I think that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, I think that I think there is a real grounded respect. And I think we've worked together our entire relationship. Wow. Which is 29 years. I mean, marriage, 29 years. Uh, actually, we've known each other since 1990, though, so what's that, 31. Wow, that's yeah. wonderful. And what, what great role models you both give to your kids, two girls and two boys. And um, I am so happy to see you thriving. And um, your law practice is, of course, thriving. And they have a very cool office in downtown D.C., which is uh, the offices are located in a very cool townhouse in the middle of DC. And it's really fun to visit you there. But something happened that was a tragedy in both of our lives. Our good mutual friend was uh, killed in an accident during a storm in Washington. Um, she was driving a bunch of children in her minivan and during a storm, a tree fell on her van on Connecticut Avenue in Chevy Chase. If, if you know this area and it instantly killed her and her, one of her daughters. And you were a very close friend of hers as was I. And to my amazement and gratitude, you stepped up and took over as an executive director of this incredible not-for-profit that she created called Girls Up. Can you tell us what Girls Up is about and why you, on top of being a power lawyer with four kids, stepped up to, to that role? I mean, that role could have really easily been filled by two or three people, but you took it without hesitation. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, so I guess the answer to that question has to also include some description of Kelly. And because there's a real understanding of Girls Up and of friendship rooted there. So yes, uh, you know, Kelly, one of my very closest friends um, died so tragically, so suddenly, and in the midst of so much vision and work of her own, and of course, raising her own six girls at the time. Um, the, the idea of Girls Up, was rooted for her as a psychologist uh, in the idea that when girls hit 10, based on some sad research that self-esteem dips at age nine for girls, mm. uh, they start to interact with the world in a way that they aren't quite prepared for. And that if you could help girls critically start to understand themselves before the world set in upon them, that you would help them have the tools to know themselves, to question the messages that are out there, and to ultimately live meaningful lives. You could put them on this important journey that I think hopefully we're all on toward knowing ourselves and trying to live an examined life. And that was Kelly's vision. And she and I, she started it in 2008. 
um, and took a small group of girls to, you know, to a week of summer camp and talked about the kinds of ideas that she thought they needed to talk about. And she was coming back uh, very excited for what would have been a second summer uh, with, you know, more kind of invigorated ideas and, and ideas for growth. Um, and that's when the accident happened. And Girls Up was scheduled to start uh, a week after she and her daughter Sloan's funeral. Mm. It was her family. And, you know, I mean, in the midst of all that abundant grieving, who had the vision to say, if there's any way to keep this going, let's do it. Debbie, can you do it? And I was, yes, honored and committed from the get go. Um, I took, you know, memories of our own conversations about it because a lot of our conversations were about what it means to be yourself, what it means to grow as yourself and what it means for an adolescent girl to, to, to start to figure out what it means to thine own self be true. Like, what does all this really mean and how do you unpack it or repack it? And so those memories, her handwritten notes and a lot of my you know, ideas as I'd been teaching a creative curriculum that Paul and I had designed. So a lot of kind of creative, more Socratic ideas about curriculum, questioning leading to questioning and put, it, put a rough curriculum together and went in that week and taught it. And it was remarkable. I mean, she was so clearly onto something that was important and uplifting and inspiring and the girls loved it. And I was committed before that, but I think after that week, I knew it was a legacy for her, but I also knew it was a whole lot more than that. I knew it was a real gift for girls. Mm -hmm. So you and me and a bunch of other women um, and Kelly's widowed husband, Sean, got together and did it. We met, we worked, we all took our own talents of our own professional lives and brought them together. And here we are, that was 2009. So here we are 12 years later and it is thriving. Wow. Um, great groups of middle school and continue through high school girls together to talk about still what they need to talk about. And, you know, I can talk more about the ideas of it, but that, yeah, that's the story. That's who we are. And we're all part of that. A beautiful legacy. And our friend Kelly Murray, as Deborah noted, was a psychologist and mother of six girls. And her husband is also a lawyer. And, um, my daughter did not participate in Girls Up. I, somehow she missed the age um, specifications, but did both of your daughters participate? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, they did. And I, I know it was, a, it, it was an age thing, though, I, with Caroline. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and, and I still, my youngest is still in it and on the teen board where I get to meet monthly with uh, basically 13 through 18 year olds and continue the themes of you know, self-awareness and self-image and the importance of self-expression and self-reliance and self-giving. And we continue all these conversations as they're bringing in more of their own life experiences. And, and uh, in the conversations and the, the spirited sarcasm and I love <laughs> That's beautiful. And you and I have talked about how this work uh, would, be beneficial to do throughout one's life. 
and how, and we actually are collaborating on a potential offering to women. Um, I specifically work with women in midlife, but this work can be beneficial to women of all ages because there are so many societal messages that can uh, beat us down uh, from physical image to behavioral ramifications, all kinds of things. So stay tuned everyone to um, something that is on the horizon that's brewing. But in the meantime, Girls Up started as um, a relatively small endeavor and it has grown now to several locations and to benefit uh, people who come from underserved communities and has involved a collaboration with the United Nations. Can you tell our listeners about the collaboration? Yes, absolutely. So we are very excited to be a partner of the United Nations campaign for girls called Girl Up, similarly named, similarly themed organizations. Uh, and the UN organization harnesses all of the power and the intellect and the energy of teen girls and around the world, and then uses that energy and those efforts to advocate for change for their sisters and some of the world's hardest to reach places and on, on issues that a lot of American girls, you know, aren't necessarily encountering in their own lives. Um, but so it teaches them and raises their own awareness and in turn helps them raise awareness and advocate for this change and to feel like they have a powerful voice and impact along the way. So it is a, it's a great organization that the UN has put together and our, our Girls Up Girls are fortunate to be partnered with them and to serve as part of the United Nations uh, in, in year long commitments with them. Wow, wow, that is tremendous. Wow, I'm sure Kelly is smiling about that. So the, as I was uh, reviewing your bio, I did not know that you served as an advisor to the Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops. Tell us about that. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it is really fascinating, inspiring work. So I, among you know, a, a large group of bishops and then consultants and advisors from all different academic backgrounds and professional experiences get together to talk about the church's interest in engagement and advocacy for a variety of issues that fall into domestic justice. So for me, so coming from my, on my law practice side, we end up talking a lot about mandatory incarceration issues and reducing those rates. We talk about underserved communities and the need for education and certain programming. Uh, we talk about um, you know, other sorts of drug addiction and how that intersperses with the narrative of what a lot of my clients are coming from. You know, I represent a lot of, of predominantly young men from underserved communities on, on very serious felony charges. That's part of my law practice. And, um, and so a lot of my experience in those communities and in dealing with incarceration issues in those communities is something that the US conference is you know, interested in addressing those sorts of issues. So I bring my experience there and we talk about that. 
And on the girls up side of things, they're also very, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, engagement of teens, social justice issues and trying to connect communities and, um, and making sure that, you know, that the church stays present and real as fuel for faith and for the, a lot of good works that grow out of that faith. And so it's a blast. It's, um, I always leave being very proud of the work that they're doing and the small part of those discussions that I can be a part of. Now, some people criticize the conference as being out of touch with reality in society and taking very conservative positions on social issues that alienate Catholics or would-be Catholics or former Catholics. And have you brushed up against any of that? And how do you deal with that? Well, I have to say um, that I am, I think that the media coverage is so limited of what the US conference is really interested in and engaged in. And part of that is that there's privilege for those conversations. So a little mm -hmm. bit of it is asking like, you know, whether or not my client did it or not. Gotcha, <laughs> okay. I, but I will tell you that generally, I, I, I often remark that I wish people actually could see into this room about the care for humanity and the labels that fall to the side of things like progressive or conservative and how you think those labels apply. Uh, I think people would be really surprised and encouraged by it. Of course, the church holds views on all sorts of every important social issue that exists. And, you know, people agree and disagree with those views. Right. Wow. But I, I, I think that there is a critical thought that exists there and that is encouraged and very vibrant that would um, and should make anyone who's associated with the church proud. Oh, I'm very encouraged to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. As someone who is somewhat of a cafeteria Catholic, um, I am encouraged that people like you are at work at this level and that uh, you can share that lots of different considerations are in the mix. So I uh, love that you are a strong woman, uh, very intellectually capable woman who simultaneously raised four children while having this very intense practice. I'm actually afraid of criminals, so I could not have a criminal practice, <laughs> but you obviously have a lot of courage. So. Tell us, uh, how did you juggle it all, especially in the, the most intensive child rearing years? Well, you know, the, the answer is, I guess the funny answer is that when you write your own maternity leave policies, you can find a lot of flexibility. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but the real answer is that the partnership that I have with Paul allowed for the kind of continued interest in professional development and work. And I think our kids benefited from the fact of that partnership at home, as well as hopefully our clients at work, that there was a real sharing of things. And, um, and I, I, it just, it, it's an unusual circumstance. I was a, I guess, 
really a part-time litigator for certainly large portions of, of those years. And um, to be able to do interesting, exciting litigation, uh, you know, at that level of commitment to raising kids is, is I, I realize it's a real gift. Wow. Um, and it some is. days it worked. And I also got dressed in my car on the way to court sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, you do well, what you have to do. From outside appearances, you handled it with great grace. So thank you for being a role model for me as well. I mean, I am now a part-time litigator and there was a time in my life when I thought that couldn't be done on a part-time basis, but it can. So I would like to end this interview as I end all interviews uh, with you sharing things that you do to become your best version. So in, in, the, in the spirit of, of being a real, the kind of lawyer that people uh, dislike, I have to sort of object to the question, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> love it, I love it, go for it. Here's why, and I, I thought about this a little bit before. Um, it's because it implies that there are versions of myself out there that I should shun or not embrace. And it's this comparative version of myself part that I just can't get my arms around. So here's what, what I think is that it's all a continuous journey. And I think that my, it's easy for me to be proud of the moments when I'm confident or compassionate or, you know, caring or creative or funny or, you know, fast on my feet or any, it's really easy to be proud of those moments. But I think the challenge is that that's not only who I am. I mean, I'm also, you know, intolerant and impatient and, and insecure and cranky and all these other things too. And so what I think is that the challenge is to embrace all of it mm. on our road to truly knowing ourselves, which is not the end game, of course, mm -hmm. but to me, it's a critical component in living a meaningful life. I don't think we can do that without knowing ourselves. Yes. So, you know, I think it's the practice of you know, Socrates said a long time ago, the unexamined life isn't worth living. So I think that trying my best to live an examined life is what helps keep me true to this journey. And I think that is, that's composed of recognizing all aspects of myself, telling the truth when it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. whether it's to myself or to other people, um, realizing that my choices reflect who I am, whether I want them to or not, mm -hmm. just trying to, like, to, to stay on top of what it is I'm saying I believe in versus the kind of choices that I'm making and right. seeing if they line up. I think it's realizing that it's all a gift and taking a deep breath. And then in my father's words walking in like you own the place <laughs> oh, I love that I love that 
And yeah. thank you for questioning the premise because no one has done that in the 25 or so <laughs> interviews that I've done. And I think that you made very valid points. And I love your answer because it is a journey. And I believe that every person in situation has the capacity to teach us something if we allow it to. And you've taught me something here. So thank you. <laughs> So I would encourage you all to check out both kiasol.com and girlsup.org to learn more about our amazing guest, Deborah Soltis and her practice and the organization, the legacy for Kelly Murray, that is Girls Up. If you have an adolescent girl, you should definitely check out girlsup.org. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. And I, I love that you have a podcast. I love that you that you have this going on. It's this ongoing dialogue among women. It's fantastic. Thank you. Tune in again next week. Bye, all. Bye, Marie.